Hello, everybody, and welcome to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. I'm Lena Lahire, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, best-selling author, and psychology student at the University of Calgary. I'll be discussing topics that range from nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and everything in between so you can feel confident in how to move towards better health physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get into our topic for the day. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode. It's been a while since I've recorded a podcast. I am officially done final exams. This semester is over. It has been a bit of a wild ride. Obviously, with the whole COVID thing going on, I had to switch from going to class to everything going online. It was a kind of rough transition, but some of my profs were so good at gently guiding everyone to online. Um, And the transition did go smoothly for some classes, not so smoothly for other classes. Um, And I I don't have to, you know, say how stressful it's been for everyone to understand what I mean, because we're all really stressed out right now. And that's what this episode is going to talk about is stress, why we're so stressed out, how we cope with stress. And then I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with exercise in particular and a way that we're trying to control our environment through exercise, through the food we eat, and talk a little bit about um, body positivity and body neutrality. So a little bit of a whole bunch of different things today, but let's get in to talking about stress. Because so many of us are experiencing this stress and it's kind of difficult to understand why we're so stressed out. Um, Not in the sense of, of course, it's stressful of what's going on in the environment, but why does that cause so much stress? Now, the number one reason why what's going on right now is causing us so much stress is because of the uncertainty that's coming with COVID, with the economy, not knowing when things are going to open up again, people losing their job. There's so many different factors, but this underlying root cause is how much uncertainty is happening. And as human beings, we're not good with uncertainty. In fact, we spend our lives coming up with ways to reduce uncertainty, to infer causality through making attributions about people, through all of these various types of ways to reduce as much uncertainty as we possibly can because we do not deal well with uncertainty. And we're going to go over what what I mean when I talk about attributions and, and uncertainty and the different strategies we use to, to reduce this uncertainty in our minds, if nothing else. So when we're up against a time where 
we don't really have anything else to compare it to. I mean, we can look at Spanish flu, but I mean, we weren't alive in that time and that was completely different. Uh, we can look at what happened with SARS, but the world didn't shut down. So that's, we can't really compare it with that either. We're, and that's what we mean when we're saying we're in an unprecedented time. We don't have anything to compare this time to that leads to a lot of stress because we're uncertain of the outcome and we're uncertain how to deal with all of this. So it creates an immense amount of pressure, an immense amount of stress, which leaks into every single area of our lives. So if you're fighting with your children or your spouse right now, you're not alone. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this whole notion of making attributions, what we do to reduce uncertainty. So you kind of understand where I'm coming from, from a psychological point of view. So in 1958, Heider argued that people are motivated by two primary needs. Number one, he argued that we have a need to form a coherent view of the world. And number two, we have this motivation for the need to gain control over our environment. So Heider believed that this desire for consistency and stability, the ability to predict and control, makes us behave like what he termed a naive scientist. So we rationally and log logically test our hypotheses about the behavior of others. And this allows us to make social inferences, which leads us to the attribution theory. So Heider believed that we have the basic need to attribute causality aka something causing something else, because this ascribes meaning to our world, making it clear, definable, predictable, thus reducing uncertainty. So we have this need to form a coherent view of the world and the need to gain control over our environment. And this is what underlies everything. This is what Heider believes. So we do all of these different things to infer causality so it reduces uncertainty. Because like I said, human beings are not good with uncertainty. We do everything we can to stop uncertainty. So that's, that's the attribution theory. Now there's different types of attribution and how we infer causality depending on what we're going through and who we encounter. So one type of attribution is an internal attribution, and that's any explanation that locates the cause as being internal to a person, such as personality, mood, abilities, effort. So we attribute that internally to the person, to their character, to them themselves. And then we have external attribution, which is any explanation that locates the cause as being external to the person, such as the environment, the actions of others, the nature of the situation, social pressures, luck. So there's internal, external, internal within the person, external outside of the person. From these external and internal attributions that we make, we have a tendency to make attributional biases towards people and situations. For example, there's something called the fundamental attribution error. 
in which people have a general tendency to make an internal rather than external attribution about people, even when there are clear potential situational causes. So this happens when people make, we like to make internal attributions more than external, meaning we like to make attributions that locate the cause within the person rather than external, except when it comes to ourselves. When it comes to ourselves, we like to make external attributions about our situations when things go wrong rather than internal attributions. Because remember, when we're making an internal attribution, we're saying that this is a stable personality characteristic that's probably not going to change. So for example, if I go to the grocery store and this clerk is very grumpy and very rude or short with me or whatever, I'm going to have the tendency to think that that's a stable personality characteristic and I'm going to infer causality. So I'm going to say she's just a grumpy person or whatever I say. Now, if I were to do the same thing, if I was grumpy with someone or short with someone, I wouldn't say it's just because I'm a grumpy person. I'd probably make up an excuse saying, oh, I just had a bad day or I'm really stressed out. That's what I mean when I say internal versus external. So I'm attributing her grumpiness, the grocery store's grumpiness to something internal inside of her, but I'm attributing my grumpiness to outside factors that's influencing my behavior. We have a tendency to do that. That's one of these attributional biases that we have. We also do this with our successes and our failures. We have the tendency to attribute our successes to internal or stable causes, and we have the tendency to attribute our failures to external causes. For example, if I do really well on a test, I would probably say, oh yeah, I studied really hard, I did whatever to gain this good grade, but if I didn't get a good grade, I would probably make up some kind of excuse saying the test was really hard, I didn't understand the question. So we have this tendency to make all of these different attributions. Now that last attribution bias is called the self-serving attribution that has to do with our successes and failures. And that is something we put in place to guard our self-esteem. So that's really important for guarding our self-esteem. Um, and, and like I said, we do all of these different things and make all of these different biases to reduce uncertainty, to infer causality, because we do not like uncertainty. While Heider argued that we are like naive scientists and we're rational and logical and making social inferences, Fisk and Taylor argued that we're actually cognitive misers. And as cognitive misers, we're very reluctant to expend cognitive resources and we look for any opportunity to avoid engaging in any sort of effortful, thoughtful process that the attribution models of Jones and Davis's um, proposed. So instead 
of making these social inferences, Fisk and Taylor argued that we use these heuristics, which are mental shortcuts, they're ways of saving time, and we use heuristics in almost everything that we do because it would take an extreme amount of time to thoughtfully go through everything that we encounter each and every day. For example, there's something called the representativeness heuristic. And this is the tendency that we have to allocate a set of attributes to someone if they match the prototype of a given category. So we like to put people into categories. Imagine if I were to tell you a story about a man named Bill. Bill is quiet, he likes to read, um, he's gentle, he speaks very softly. What occupation is Bill more likely to have? A farmer or a librarian? Many people immediately are going to think a librarian because I said he reads, he's thoughtful, he speaks quietly. But what we, what we fail to see and what we ignore is the fact that there's a lot more farmers than there are librarians, especially if we're looking in North America. And this was an example in my cognitive psychology class. So this is an example of us using the representativeness heuristic. We take what's representative of this prototype of the category librarians and we just assume that because someone is quiet and they read, maybe they have glasses, that they're a librarian, but we're failing to realize that it's actually probably more likely that he's a farmer because there's more farmers and just because he wears glasses and reads doesn't mean he's a librarian. So we need to make sure that we're looking at all the information that we have instead of just jumping to the conclusion. That's really hard to do because it's so automatic that we don't even realize that we're doing it. Then we have something called the availability heuristic, which is a tendency to judge the frequency or probability of an event in terms of how easy it is to think of examples of that event. Another example that was given in my class uh, and a great example of the avail availability heuristic is if I were to ask you, what kills more people per year, sharks or horses? Now, of course, most people are going to say sharks, but in fact, more horses per year kill people than sharks. It's just, we don't hear a lot about horse accidents or people dying from being kicked off a horse or whatever because there's so much media about sharks. There's movies about shark attacks. There's all of this media coverage in the news anytime there's a shark attack. So it's available in our mind way more than something like someone falling off a horse and dying. So anything that's available to us, we believe that to be true. And there's so many things that we do. There's so many different heuristics that we use in our everyday life to make these inferences, to infer causality, to reduce uncertainty. For example, stereotypes and prejudice and the way that we see other people 
those are ways of categorizing people, of using these heuristics to assume that we know something about someone before we actually know something. Because it takes a lot of effort to get to know each and every person. So it's easier in our mind to stereotype and to categorize people. So we save this time on these cognitive resources. So Heider argued that we're naive scientists. We go through this rational and logical thought process. Fisk and Taylor argued that no, we're actually more cognitive misers. We don't like to expend resources. But then, according to Kroglansky, he argued that people are actually quite flexible social thinkers who choose between these two approaches. We choose between cognitive strategies based on our current goals, our motives, our needs, or we we go to the more naive scientist approach. And he says, we're more like a motivated tactician. So put another way, people are strategic in their allocation of cognitive resources. And as such can decide to be a cognitive miser or a naive scientist, depending on a number of factors. So if something is really important to us, for example, we're gonna spend more time thoughtfully going through whatever it is is important to us. If we need to make a quick snap judgment, we're more likely to use more of a cognitive miser approach and all of these little mental shortcuts. But with anything, these all lead to issues because while heuristics are great and they save us a lot of time and they're right most of the time, they're not right all of the time. And this is what leads us, can lead us down a pretty dark path, especially with something like uh, prejudice and prejudice, sorry, and racism and all of these different things that we can't help that we stereotype people, but it's the behaviors that can follow along with that that are a real issue. Or just making inferences or attributions that are wrong. Like I was talking about uh, assuming that the grocery store clerk is just a grumpy person. But if you are grumpy, then it's just because you were having a bad day. When we do that, we, we're not giving people the benefit of the doubt. We shut ourselves off. And it's not helpful for building relationships. It's not helpful for building positivity because we're assuming the worst of everyone. We're assuming that these attitudes that people have are stable characteristics when that's not necessarily true. So if someone cuts you off in traffic, instead of saying that they're just a big jerk, you could say, well, maybe they were in a rush to get somewhere. Or maybe they're having a stressful day because that's exactly what you would say about yourself if you cut someone off in traffic. These are all things to just be really aware of. Now, what does this have to do with what's going on right now and stress? Well, this has everything to do because we make all of these inferences and all of these attributions. We use heuristics to reduce uncertainty, to get answers. And now we can't do that. And we're trying to, and we're trying to control situations that we can't control. And we don't have answers. We can't use these little mental shortcuts. All we can do is try and control our immediate environment. And even that's hard to do. 
because not only are we dealing with our own stressors, but on top of that, the people around us are stressed. We can't control them. We can't control how people out in the world are going to act or react or behave, right? Like there's so much that we can't control right now. I can't control the fact that my husband is home 24-7 now working from home and it's fine. I love him and it's great now that I'm done my finals and exams. But when I'm trying to study for an exam and he's on a conference call yammering away in the office and there's construction going on outside the back of my house and there's construction going on outside the front of my house and I can't study for my final exams, it is extremely stressful and I have no control over my environment. There's nothing that I can do. I know I'm not alone in going through this either. Like people who are working from home, thank God you have a job, but there has been some serious navigating that we've had to do through this new current situation. And it's challenging. So then we have to ask ourselves, how are we coping? How are we coping with stress? And this is where my fitness background and health background comes in. And this is where this whole topic comes in. What a lot of us are doing to control our environment is what we always have done to control our environment. It just looks a little bit different now. We use diet and exercise to control what's going on in our internal world, in our immediate environment, when we don't have control over what's going on around us. Because eating food or not eating food or exercising or not exercising or whatever we decide to do with that, we do have control over. So anything that we feel we can control, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna gravitate towards that, whether that's cleaning your house frantically or exercising or, you know, doing whatever we can possibly do to control our situation, we're going to engage in. It's okay, but sometimes it's not okay. For example, what's going on with exercise? There's good and there's bad. More people are exercising. It's great to see more people outside going for walks at-home workouts being embraced, but at the same time, there's this almost neuroticism about getting these at-home workouts done and posting workouts. And I had posted some workouts right when this whole thing started as really it was just a way for me to post some workouts for my friends and family. It wasn't like a huge big thing. But people started to become really obsessed with posting their at-home workouts and focusing on working out, on their body, on the food that they're eating. You know, there's like, oh, don't even get me started about all of the immune boosting programs and foods and like, I'm not going to get into that because it's just so not rooted in science at all. Um, But all of these really big claims about 
you know, eat this to boost your immunity because people are so afraid of what's going on and, and they don't have control. And so we take matters into our own hands by over-exercising or, you know, concocting all of these different recipes to make sure that we're healthy. And like, that's good, but it's also not good at the same time. And when we're so focused on exercise and making sure that our body stays even more healthy because we want to fight against this or because, you know, we're not handling stress very well. Well, that stress doesn't go away. That's just a temporary fix. Exercise is great. We should all be exercising, but not at the expense of our mental health. That's more what I've been seeing going on. So there's a very delicate balance that we're having to strike with the amount of exercise that we're doing and not obsessing about exercising or making the perfect meal. You know, weight gain is is a huge topic and people are upset like they're going to gain weight. Yeah, you probably are going to gain weight, especially if you're engaging in a little bit of emotional eating, which is totally fine and a very valid coping strategy for stress. There's obviously other things that you can do, but everyone's going to engage in some emotional eating during this time. We do it throughout our whole lives and there's nothing wrong with it, but we also need to find other ways to cope with the stress of uncertainty. If your coping mechanism is just to exercise every single time you feel stressed out, you're going to run your body down pretty darn quick, speaking from experience. Also, on a side note, super exciting news, got my second period. Yes, I did it. And probably because the gym's closed. And I haven't been exercising as hard. I stopped posting exercise videos a couple weeks into the whole COVID thing. I might post an exercise video every now and then. But it's so important to not be obsessive about our bodies, about what we're eating, about how much exercise we're doing, about how productive we are. Because this is not a normal time. You know, it's very stressful putting your body through a hard workout when you're already stressed out maybe isn't the best thing to do every now and then it might be okay but not every day you don't need to be obsessed about it I also started doing yoga twice a week and that has really been so amazing I'm a type of person that just loves I love to run I love to run fast I like high intensity But slowing down, breathing, doing yoga has really taught me how to appreciate slow exercise and what true strength really means. And and my body has been healing from it and I got my period back. It's the second one. I need to get a third one for the recovery period for hypothalamic amenorrhea. If you haven't listened to my previous episodes, I talk about what that is, about how I lost my cycle from over-exercising and under-fueling unintentionally. But my husband and I have some pretty exciting things coming up in our family life, which has caused me to be extremely motivated to get my cycle back. That is 
not for today's episode though. Last thing I want to talk about is body positivity versus body neutrality. Body positivity, this whole body positivity movement is great. It's wonderful that we are focusing on being more accepting of our bodies and celebrating the bodies that we're in with body positivity, which is just feeling positive towards your body, which is great. We shouldn't not, but the focus is still so strongly on our bodies, whether it's like embracing being curvier or embracing whatever it is, why are we still emphasizing our bodies? This is the main point I want to drive home is body neutrality, just feeling neutral towards your body and happy that your body carries you throughout every single day is more important than maybe having this overt positivity towards your body that you have to express all the time because some people just aren't there. Some people just want to look in the mirror and not feel anything about their body and just go on with their day and be at peace with who they are without having to be positive or be negative. And I think we need to focus on other things that bring us joy and bring us positivity Not like, how does my body look today? And did I feel good about my body today? What about like, did I feel good about the work I accomplished today? Or did I just feel good about me as a person today? Why does it have to be about our body all the time? I'm going to kind of tie this all together with the coping strategies that we use And the forms of control that we use when we're under a lot of stress. And that is we start to look at our body and we start to pick, nitpick at our body or, you know, try and do all of these things to increase our body positivity. And really, we're just trying to, I don't know, get our attention away of other things or get our attention off of other things. And I think the main focus needs to not be on our bodies anymore. I think we need to let it go. And just move because our bodies are meant to move and exercise because we love it and eat foods that build our body up because they make us feel good and they give us energy. Not because it's going to make us like our body more or standing in front of the mirror and saying how much you love your body every day. If you do that, that is totally fine. I have to do that from time to time as well, but sometimes... I just don't want to feel anything about my body because it's it's my body. Why does so much emphasis have to be put on it? Wrapping this whole episode up, what are you doing to cope with stress right now in all of this uncertainty? And is it beneficial? Like, are the things that you're doing really beneficial for the amount of stress that you're under? Or are you actually just depleting your body more? Are you hyper-focused on the food that you're eating? Are you becoming obsessive about at-home workouts or achieving all of these goals? Or are you doing things that are taking you out of that stress response, like doing some deep breathing or some meditation or putting an emphasis 
on how much sleep you're getting because we're at a time right now where we get to sleep in because we don't have to drive to the office or you know, go to all these different places. Like, are you capitalizing on some of these things that actually build your body up? Or are you just driving it deeper and deeper into the ground in a time where it's already stressed out? If you're doing that, there's time to get out of that headspace now, but you have to do it now. And I think it's going to make this whole situation more bearable when it's already a stressful situation, but we're not adding those self-imposed stressors onto an already stressed lifestyle. I'm going to end it there. That's it for me today, guys. I have some very exciting guests coming on the podcast, so make sure you look out for that. And thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe and don't forget to take care of your mental health. Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on iTunes and please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Have a great day and remember, you are powerful over your health.